Good morning, and welcome to our live broadcast at First Presbyterian. It is a joy to come into your home today with good news about God who loves you. If you're ever in Uptown Columbus, we invite you to stop by and say hello. We'd love to see you, have you worship with us. We'll make you feel like family. At First Presbyterian, we are family. Learning together, growing together, worshiping together. We ask all who are able to please stand for our first reading. A reading from Acts of the Apostles, chapter 8, verses 4 through 25. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Now those who were scattered went from place to place proclaiming the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah to them. The crowds with one accord listened eagerly to what was said by Philip, hearing and seeing the signs that he did for unclean spirits crying with loud shrieks came out of many who were possessed, and many others who were paralyzed or lame were cured. So there was great joy in that city. Now a certain man named Simon had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he was someone great. All of them, from the least to the greatest, listened to him eagerly, saying, This man is the power of God that is called great. And they listened eagerly to him, because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip, who was proclaiming the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed. After being baptized, he stayed constantly with Philip and was amazed when he saw the signs and great miracles that took place. Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. The two went down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet, the Spirit had not come upon any of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John laid hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me also this power so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought that you could obtain God's gift with money. You have no part or share in this, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray that the Lord, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the chains of wickedness. Simon answered, Pray for me that the Lord, to the Lord, that nothing of what you have said may happen to me. Now after Peter and John had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, proclaiming the good news to many villages of the Samaritans. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All who are able, please stand for our second lesson. It comes Again, from the 8th chapter of the book of Acts, we pick up where we left off at verse 26. Listen to God's Word speak to your life today. Then an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Get up and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a wilderness road. So he got up and went. Now there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, in charge of her entire treasury. 
He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning home. Seated in his chariot, he was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the Spirit said to Philip, Go over to this chariot and join it. So Philip ran up to it and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah. He asked, Do you understand what you are reading? The Ethiopian eunuch replied, How can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to get in and sit beside him. Now the passage of Scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter. Like a lamb silent before its shearer, so he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, about whom, may I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? Then Philip began to speak, and starting with this scripture, he proclaimed to him the good news about Jesus. As they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What is to prevent me from being baptized? He commanded the chariot to stop, and both of them, Philip and the eunuch, went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. The eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself an Azotus. And as he was passing through the region, he proclaimed the good news to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. A couple of years ago, my daughter uh, returned home after a midweek Bible study with some of her high school friends, and I was curious how it had been. And so I asked her, How was it? And I got the classic answer It was okay. Later that evening, I found a little piece of paper that was folded up on the table that leads in the entranceway to our home, and it looks like an origami figure of some sort was maybe being folded there. I unfolded it and found this written there. Actually, this could be the sermon right here. Number one. Go where others are afraid to go. Number two, talk to people who think differently than you. Number three, be willing to have a difficult conversation. Number four, pay attention to the person's needs. Number five, stay focused on Jesus. Will you pray with me, please? Lord, as we turn to your word, we pray that your Holy Spirit would focus us upon Jesus and Jesus alone and the good news that we know because of him and through him and the power of your Holy Spirit. We surrender and submit our hearts to your perfect will in all of our days and all of our ways that we may glorify you and serve you until we see your kingdom coming on earth even as it is in heaven. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
After the martyrdom of Stephen, the community of Christ followers in Jerusalem is scattered after Stephen is stoned. They're scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. And sometimes it takes a crisis to dislodge us from our comfortable spot. Sometimes it takes a wake-up call to rouse us from our complacent slumber. Sometimes it is persecution that moves us to a deeper walk or to a higher understanding of the faith that we say that we love and to which we desire to be loyal and obedient. Yet without the spilling of Stephen's blood, without this crisis, without the persecution of Saul and others in the Sanhedrin, those leaders of the temple in Jerusalem, without this persecution from the Jewish authorities, the people of the way, the Christ followers who were preaching that the Messiah had come in the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, they could have remained a cozy little Jewish sect nestled next to Judaism, maybe unique and somewhat set apart, possibly tolerated, but they could have remained right there in Jerusalem, comfortable, sharing all things, enjoying good fellowship, close relationship in the afterglow of Pentecost, waiting for Jesus' return saying in essence, we like it the way it is. Don't bother us until Jesus comes back. In the meantime, we're just fine. But this wasn't to be the case because God had something else in mind and Jesus was in on it and the Holy Spirit was behind it or maybe we should say in front of it. And there was persecution that comes upon the church. Persecution that could have crushed this fledgling little community, but rather this persecution serves as a catalyst for its disbursement and its growth. For Jesus had told his followers, stay in the city. Wait and pray until you are clothed in power and then you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. In chapter 8, verse 4, it says that those who were scattered went everywhere. And how did they go? Did they go into hiding out of fear? No, it says they went preaching boldly the Word of God with power and the power of the Holy Spirit. Today we look at this chapter 8 in the Acts of the Apostles, which concentrates on the figure of Philip now. The camera focuses in on this individual who we are seeing function as, yes, an evangelist, yes, as a, uh, a teacher, one who is instructing in the faith. We see him encounter both Simon the magician and an Ethiopian eunuch. Two very different, unique encounters. And as the camera now settles in on Philip and these encounters, Will Williman, the former dean of the chapel at Duke Divinity, 
He writes this in his commentary on this book, the truth of the gospel is more than success in winning converts and martyrs. The gospel is a truth so demanding, so strange, that it is possible to get it wrong. Therefore, we step back a moment from the drama of the spread of the good news to ponder the tragedy of misunderstanding it. Because in, in these two vignettes that we look at in this chapter, the encounter with Simon the magician and the Ethiopian eunuch, each in their own way, have gotten it wrong or do not understand. So the question for us is, what can we learn from Acts 8 about this demanding, this strange, powerful truth of the Gospel in Jesus Christ? It bears noting that this Gospel is spreading to the Samaritans. That's where Philip finds himself. The Samaritans and the Jews are known to have a history of enmity between them. To Jews, the Samaritans were racially impure. They were religiously inferior. They did worship Israel's God. They did observe Moses' laws. And they too looked for the Messiah, but they counted for little in the evaluation of the Jews, of the Samaritans. They were products of an Assyrian exile. They were sent away from Jerusalem, and in their exile, they intermarried with Gentiles, tainting the blood of God's chosen people. They were not pure. They were hated. They were unclean, the Samaritans. The ones that Jesus used so frequently as a ruse in some of his own teaching. You may remember Jesus' encounter with the ten virgins, or the ten lepers. The lepers who were cleansed, and Jesus said, go and show yourself to the priest. And of the ten, only one, after washing and being healed, first came back to Jesus to say thank you before going and reporting to the authority at the temple. The one who returned to Jesus with gratitude was the Samaritan. Jesus also tells that parable well known to many of us about the good Samaritan. You remember the man who fell among the robbers, was stripped of all of his possessions, his clothes left in the ditch for dead, and passing by on the other side was the Levite when he saw the man in the ditch. And then the Pharisee passed by on the other side. But who was it that stopped and bent down and ministered to the one in the ditch, tending his wounds, putting him on his donkey, carrying him to the inn, paying for his needs until such a time he could come and make complete reparations or compensation for that man's needs? It was the Samaritan who Jesus said was neighbor. As I thought about this, I was wondering, is there a parallel that we might find ourselves in, in our Christian family? Are there those that are of us but not with us or different and 
we don't quite know how to relate to that other part of our extended Christian family. I'm thinking about Catholics. We could speak of other groups, but indulge me with this parallel. Could it be that there is some kind of distance or strained relationship between Protestants and Catholics? We're not sure what to do with them, or are they with us? We're not sure what they believe. Yes, they are in the family, but we're not going to do holidays with them. We may send them a Christmas card, but we're not going to visit. What this text is telling us as the gospel spreads is that the gospel, the good news, transcends divides. It draws people together. The Holy Spirit works miracle, a miracle among Samaritans and Jews. National recriminations and religious ostracization is being overcome in this text by the power of the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus Christ. And the same must be true for us today as Christians. In the family of faith, in a postmodern world, a post-Christian world, find those places where we stand together. There was a wedding in this sanctuary yesterday. Martha Johnston, the daughter of Carol and John, big sister of Maggie, was married here. Their family goes way back in the Presbyterian generations. Actually, Martha is a direct descendant of a former pastor of First Presbyterian Church, William A. Carter, who served as the pastor of this church from November 6, 1881 to February 26, 1905, a 25-year tenure. We stood on these very hardwood floors where Reverend Dr. Carter may have stood to perform a wedding yesterday as Martha was married to Will Metter, who is from Mobile, whose family has very deep and long and strong Catholic roots. When I did premarital work with this couple, they asked, would it be possible to have someone from the Catholic faith to read Scripture or offer a prayer? Yesterday, I co-officiated at the wedding in our sanctuary with Deacon Arnie Goodman, who read Scripture and prayed. And he was actually gracious enough to use the Presbyterian liturgy for the wedding yesterday. As Christians, we need to be finding those things that hold us together more than those things that drive us apart. United by the Spirit of God in a hostile world, we are knit together in, a same, in the same garment of destiny. We must look for those things that we share. Does this mean, though, that we compromise our doctrine or our theology? Absolutely not. In the story of Philip encountering Simon the magician, all are amazed at the power of Philip who proclaims the gospel. People are responding. There are healings. There are exorcisms. But Philip 
wants to possess this gospel, this power on his own terms. The people are already saying about this magician, he is, he is great. The greatness of God is in him. I imagine that Simon heard these things and had an ego that was puffed up, but if he was honest with himself, he knew the truth about himself. He was not great. He was merely a man. And so Simon saw a way to boost his influence, manipulate a power for his own purposes, expand his wealth, and he offered to buy the gospel. After Simon is baptized, we read that it is Peter and John, the apostles from Jerusalem, upon hearing what is happening among the Samaritans who come down to where Philip is. And there Peter and John, we read, lay hands on those who were baptized. And there are even more signs and wonders of the Spirit as it takes hold of those who believe. Simon says, I would like to buy that experience, that power. And Peter rebukes Simon in a rather fierce way, literally saying to Simon, you and your money can go to hell. The Holy Spirit is a gift from God not to be manipulated. It is not magic. Here we understand about this good news, about the Holy Spirit that gives it, that the gospel shapes us. It is not something that we shape. Many of us may have tried to make the gospel fit our human condition, our lives. Maybe we have tried to live that way, to pray that way, to manipulate God that way. I'm thinking of Mark Twain's Huck Finn who tried to do that who tried faith, who tried prayer, and he found it didn't work when he put a shoebox under his bed and prayed that it would be full of gold in the morning. And the next morning he found the box empty. That was it. But no, it is the gospel who shapes us. We do not shape the gospel. Our faith defines us. We do not define our faith. The Word of God first reads us, and then we read the Word of God by the illumination of the Holy Spirit. The manifestations of the Spirit, the power of the good news, are gifts from God, surprising, undeserved, unmanipulated, and uncontrollable. Simon did not get this at first. He misunderstood, but Peter calls him to repent of his selfish position. Peter says to Simon, you have neither part now nor portion in this matter. Your heart is not right in the word is not right with God and it is not right within you. Repent and pray for forgiveness, Peter says to Simon. I see you are poisoned with bitterness, bound by iniquity. And Simon in response to this rebuke, this corrective, this admonition, Simon says to Peter, Pray for me that what you say will not befall me. This is an important point to this piece of the gospel. While including even the Samaritans, this evangelism has boundaries, a clarity. 
willing to exclude the likes of Simon, whose lifestyle and theology did not fit into the community. Persecuted, scattered, the church is fighting for its life. But the early church did not reduce its witness to the lowest common denominator. It did not go for a catchy slogan. It did not try to just put something on a billboard or have a theology that would fit on a bumper sticker. Rather, it built standards carefully defining itself and willing to rebuke, admonish, and correct those who were found outside of the community by their lifestyles or their attitudes. The early church did not baptize people into the status quo to boost their bottom line. They didn't resort to mushy affirmations, but they welcomed all who would hear and respond to the gospel, who were willing to be remade and to repent like Simon, like David. We remember his plea in the Psalms after confronted with his own limitations and selfishness. David wrote, Search me, O God, and know me, and see if there is any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. The gospel, the good news, changes lives and remakes us. After Simon, Philip then is transported by the angel of God, obedient to go to Gaza Road, where he encounters an Ethiopian eunuch. Philip is compliant, obedient, And he goes and meets this eunuch who is a man of authority in the queen's court in Ethiopia. But he does not have the ability to understand the word of God that he is is reading from the prophet Isaiah. And in verse 35 we read that he was willing to be instructed by Philip in the good news of Jesus. He had been to Jerusalem to worship. Now he's reading a a suffering servant psalm from Isaiah, the most famous suffering servant song. It says, like a lamb before his shears he was dumb. He did not open his mouth. His life was taken from this world. By humiliation, justice was denied him. And Philip explains who this one is. It is Jesus Christ. The Ethiopian eunuch asks for baptism. And there they find water and he is baptized. Frederick Beekner, in writing about this encounter, sums it up and finishes it this way in his book, Peculiar Treasures. So Philip baptized him, and when that black and mutilated potentate bobbed back to the surface, he was so carried away he couldn't even speak. And the sounds of his joy were like the sounds of a brook rattling over pebbles, and Philip never saw him again and never needed to. And in this encounter, we see a fulfillment from the Psalms themselves. In the 68th Psalm where it says, Let Ethiopia hasten to stretch stretch out her hands to God. And the eunuch takes the gospel of Jesus Christ, even to the Gentile world. And as we look at this text, we see that the truth is the gospel, the Holy Spirit of God is powerful, 
It is a gift. It is not for sale. It transforms and remakes us. And it is for all people. And now is a time that the Holy Spirit is stirring us up to reclaim the Gospel, to relearn the Gospel, to repent and embrace the Gospel, and to respond to the Spirit of God that says, Go. Go to all of Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the end of the world. Go, even if it is across the room or across the street. Go, number one, where others are afraid to go. Number two, talk to people who think differently than you. Number three, be willing to have a difficult conversation. Number four, pay attention to the person's needs. And number five, keep focused on Jesus. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.